it radiated the fact that I see you, you're not a threat, I'm just doing my thing. But I was a little bit spellbound. I think spellbound isn't the word. That's the first question. Did you take a photo? And so it immediately puts you on the defensive because when you say no, people say, well, it didn't happen. You're on the back foot of what's your little story. Welcome to Big Cat Conversations. We speak directly to people who've encountered one of Britain's big cats. We also discuss the bigger picture. I'm Rick Minter, and thanks for joining me. Hello, welcome everyone. We have reached episode 80 of Big Cat Conversations, and we're coming to you with this one in early August 2022. Back in episode 9, our guest was Gareth, who explained his sighting of a puma in Florida when he visited there, and a large cat which appeared to be a puma in northeast England, locally to him on the outskirts of Gateshead. I said he was probably the only person to see a puma in Britain and in their native lands. Well, I'm going to eat my words in a moment because coming up, we have reports from North Kent and from Alberta in Canada. Our guest is Charlie, who's based in North Kent. So, Charlie, welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on Big Cat Conversations. Hi, Rick. Thanks for having me. Thanks for coming on, Charlie. And the usual opening question, before those local sightings in Kent, had you heard of Big Cat sightings? And if so, what had you made of them? No, I hadn't had any idea about Big Cat sightings even before my first experience. Wow, so it really was a complete shock to you. You'd never read about stories in the newspapers, you never heard about Beast of Exmoor, Beast of Bodmin? No, nothing. Where have you been? (laughs) That is, as you probably know from listening to the podcast, that is rare, but it makes it even more interesting, I suppose. Yeah, let's get into it then, and, and details of the first incident. And this was in 2009, was it? In 2009, I believe it is in June, I was actually waiting for the bus. In my village, the bus comes every hour. I walked down to the bus stop. As I looked around behind me, there was a lynx lying in the field, and it was approximately 100 yards away from me. And this was midday in broad daylight. I watch a lot of nature programs, and I knew immediately what I was looking at. I had no idea at the time that they were a class as a big cat sighting. I just assumed it was maybe someone's pet. Tell us how you judge the scale and the key features of it. Well, from later on, there's a programme called Snowcats and Me, which was on the BBC, and one of those cats looked identical to what I saw. It was basically laying in a longer bit of grass. There were sheep around in the field, but they wasn't hurdled into one corner. They were just grazing, and the cat was laying there in the sun, just sort of sunbathing as they do. So you saw it lying down. You didn't see the body fully. Because the sheep were in the field and the grass was quite short, and it was just laying in a bit with uh, like some higher bits of grass around the back of it, I could see the entire animal. It noticed me and looked straight at me and I saw the top fur was almost like a rusty colour with black spots. It had a white tummy. The most distinctive point was the ears with the black tufts on top. That part of me knew instantly that I was looking at a lynx. How clear were the black tufts at that distance? Because it is in broad daylight, that's the most distinctive thing straight away that I could see. Yeah, I just I just knew that it was a link straight away. Yeah, I guess at the background as well, because black tufts don't always show up on a view of a, a lynx, particularly if it's in sort of woodland or the edge of woodland, but I guess it was a light background to them. Yeah, it was an open field for a good hundred or so metres behind it, and then a barn in the background, and then... From listening to other podcasts, I believe I'm quite lucky because I actually witnessed this lynx for about 30 minutes. Anybody else come along in that time and you pointed it out to them or anything? No. The village I used to live in is very quiet. In fact, you could probably walk around the village quite often most of the day and not see a single person. Spot the human other than people driving in cars, is it? 
yeah, it's pretty much that. When I saw the cat, didn't seem to move, wasn't fussed by me at all. So I jumped up on the wall and just had my back to it and let it be. At the time, I obviously wasn't aware that that was a big cat to be wary of. So I wasn't too fussed about turning on back to it. And what about the thought of taking a picture? Do you have the mobile phone and did the thought occur to you of taking a photo? I had a phone. At the time, my phone didn't have a camera. So unfortunately, I wasn't able to get a picture. At the time, because I wasn't aware of big cats in the UK, I just assumed it was someone's pet. There was houses less than 100 metres away. It's right next to a park as well. And I just wasn't expecting it to be a wild animal. But you knew the scale. You could see that it was a lynx scale and it was big enough to kill a deer, that sort of thing, rather than just a very big Maine Coon cat. It was 100% a lynx. It was very big. And it was just resting in the sun in a field, being calm and relaxed and laying up. Yeah, like how a domestic cat would curl up and then just have his head up, just looking around. That's when it saw me. It sort of just like yawned a little bit, didn't seem too fast, and then just carried on laying in the sun. Was there any crows or anything mobbing it? They often can mob them, I suppose more often when they're active and they're stalking and crows give them away. Nothing like that then? Nothing like that. Again, after listening to your podcasts, I'm surprised the sheep wasn't scared either. Sometimes they're not aware of one, perhaps, but sometimes they are, but they know it's not in stalking mode and they pick up calm vibes. They were obviously keeping their distance, but they was all grazing away, not fast at all. What was the closest distance of the nearest one, would you say? Probably the similar distance to where I was for it. How come it saw you, the movement, and because you were a reasonable way away from it? The field's surrounded. There's a barn at the back. And then it's surrounded by trees and there's a river. And there's only one opening for the wall where the bus stop is. I guess my movement caught its eye. So then you got the bus and went on your way? Yeah, I got, I got the bus after about 30 minutes and, and left. Yeah, it was obviously gone by the time I got back. But for 30 minutes, I was considered pretty lucky, I believe. Yeah, one of the longest sightings I'm aware of. Would you have had time to go home and get a camera? Had you known the bus was going to be half an hour? I probably would have, but like nowadays, I actually do photography and I just wish I did it back then. If I had a camera phone like I do now and I didn't know that they were non-native, I probably would have walked into the field and got a closer picture. But nowadays, obviously, understanding that that's a big cat and that's actually a wild animal, I probably would have just stayed on the other side of the wall. And what type of footage would you have got from where you were at the bus stop? I'd have definitely taken some good photos and then a bit of video because it's always good to have both. And it would have been clear enough, do you think, at that distance on a mobile phone camera? It was mid-June, sunny. Couldn't have had any obstructions in it whatsoever. It had just been perfect video. Normally, when we say to a guest, what was the most distinctive feature, many of them will include movement in that. But of course... I guess you can't include movement because it hardly moved. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. It was basically just sunning itself. The most distinctive thing I saw was, again, was the tufts on its ears. And I saw all its face, all, all the whiskers, everything. Interesting about the rusty upper part of the uh, the body. I mean, that's certainly the case with, with a lot of links. I mean, they do vary in their patterning and their tones and their hues. You know, I'm looking at my references on links at the moment, and the main one I'm looking at in my office here has got a rusty sort of top to it. It almost had like the caracal sort of coloured, but, but it had spots. It had to have been a lynx, right? Yes. Yeah, caracals are very gingery, aren't they? Chestnut gingery, I always think. It was that colour, but it had the cream undertone on the chin all the way down to the stomach and the spots on the top of half. So you didn't really see the tail because of it lying down? No. I could see its legs and its, and its feet, but I couldn't see a tail. I mean, people say, again, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but when they see them walking, people often remark about the really proportionately big pads, big feet on a lynx. Did that come across to you? 
the whole size of it in in general just the stockiness of it even the, all the way from the body all the way down to his feet was was large i knew instantly what i was looking at obviously because it didn't move i just thought oh it's not going to come over here i'm not going to go over there so i just sat on the wall and waited for the bus yeah so who did you talk to about this afterwards what kind of action did you take next about it well at the time Obviously, I wasn't aware that cats were roaming in the UK. I told my parents, possibly. I can't remember exactly now, but I wasn't fussed about it at all. I didn't think it was worth reporting because I didn't I didn't know. It was wasted on you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in terms of emotions, what was your uppermost emotion at the time and afterwards then? I was like, wow, at first, because... After watching nature programs and seeing it in real life, I realised how cool it was to see one. I wasn't scared or anything like that. Just sort of passed it off and it wasn't until my next sighting that I obviously realised that cats were were roaming. We may as well go on to the second incident, a slightly different location in 2011, is that right? That's right, yes. It was only probably about half a mile from my first sighting. Oh, okay. Different part of the village. I was doing some summer work at the time. I was driving through the lanes. It was in, I would say, July. Back then, down the middle of the road, it sort of had grass growing. I was driving along, come around the corner, and I saw a very large, sort of orangey-coloured cat laying in the road at first. I did think maybe it's a dog, as most people probably would. It wasn't until the cat stood up, I saw it on side profile, and I instantly knew that that's a very big puma. When I drove around the corner, it was probably about under 100 yards in front of me, because there's a quite tight bend. Just after the tight bend, there's a straight bit, and it was, I believe, because it was in this sort of hot weather, it's probably just trying to sun itself in the morning sun. It's basically a single track road. There'll be other routes out of the village. It says this one is considered one of the back routes, and people only use that road if they know that road, if that makes sense. How did you instantly know it was a puma? As soon as I saw the side profile, and it obviously looked at me, and after watching all the nature programs, I knew what I was looking at. But... The thing that I remember most is that I didn't actually stop. I carried on going towards it because I was in kind of like awe of what I was seeing. I then followed it and it ended up being at the shortest distance, about a car's length in front of my car. It then, I don't know how the best way of saying it, it was almost like trotted down, down the road away from me, but not exactly fast. It eventually jumped up the bank, which was... Above my car at the time, the banks are quite tall. You can't see into the fields, and it was gone. And again, you didn't have a dash cam, as we've said so many times on the podcast. In 2011, I don't believe, I don't even know if dash cams existed. Say you had a dash cam at the time, and they did exist, what kind of footage would you have got? I probably would have got very good footage, but... Out of anything, I I wish I just had. I wish I did photography and I had my camera with me because I would have stopped and took a picture. Because you would have had time to. Yeah, I always carry it next to me in the car. I don't leave it in the boot. How quickly did it become bothered by the approaching car? It pretty much got up straight away. As soon as I come around the corner, it stood up. In detail, it was almost like mousy brown on top, with the creamy underside approximately a metre tall, maybe, maybe a little shorter. This is metre to the shoulder or metre to the top of the head? I would say a metre to the shoulder. You see, I think that's a bit big, Charlie. I just feel that sometimes the height people can misjudge because of the overall size and mass and extent of them. Yeah, I think it was the overall mass and the length of it that obviously puts the height of it out. Yeah, I would say a metre is probably more like a Great Dane's height. 
No, not at all. It, it was definitely taller than Labrador, but probably not as tall as like an Alsatian. Nose to rump, I would probably put it as about three and a half, four foot. And the tail, again, was nearly the length of the cat. Length of the body? Yes. Yeah, that's pretty much in the zone for, for a standard adult, a large female, smaller male. But of course, we're going always by the standard reference book ones and the standard ones of the native countries. And I don't think we should always do that for British ones. They will maybe adapt a bit in time over here. So I think they will have slight sort of tweaks, I think, perhaps sometimes. We shouldn't just assume they're always going to fit the, the template that we know. It didn't look like the standard pictured sort of puma. I don't know if it's the way it was walking, but the back rump area was taller than the than the front legs. And the most obvious bit that was a bit almost scary was the shoulders and just the sheer muscle on the front of the shoulders. Mind you, those are actually correct observations of reference book ones, really. They are higher at the back end because of their long long legs and their need for leaping and spring locomotion. In what way did you notice that? Was it just did it look like it was just sloping down to the shoulders then from the back? I noticed it when I drove closer and obviously I was trying to get to work. So I didn't really bother to... I slowed down because I was in awe, but I didn't come to a stop. I sort of just almost chased it down the road sort of thing. It was on the side of the road. It basically trotted down the side of the road. It was the shoulders that caught my eye the most when it was trotting and the tail. The tail was really thick. I would have said almost like the fat end of a baseball bat. And it just curved all the way down and then back up again. And it was like a black tip on its tail. Yeah, people. other people say things like a rope-like tail or like a, the thickness of a flagstaff. Yeah, it was definitely like if you grabbed hold of it, it would be a quite, a quite a substantial tail to hold. The underbelly was like a creamy colour. Distinctly different from the, the main pelt. Yeah, the top half was, it was like a mousy brown, but almost a bit orangey. I didn't get to see his face too well. It glanced at me briefly, which I just remembered that his face was quite dark. It was darker than his main body. And it leapt up the... If I were to walk past it now, I'm about, I'm about six foot two. And to go up to the bank is taller than me. And it leapt up in about two jumps. It did that in its own sort of time. It wasn't too flustered then. No, it did, it did it in its own time. It didn't sprint off. It didn't like seem panicked. It was almost like, oh, humans come along. I guess I've got to move. So had you had a camera... Yeah, what would you have done? If I had my camera, I would have stopped briefly further back and just tried to take like some zoomed-in photos. I definitely wouldn't have got out of the car, though. It was a, like a, a large male out of the two. After seeing other videos online of how people have had close encounters, I definitely wouldn't have got out of the car. But you would have got good enough footage from the car with your camera. Yeah, I would have got some pretty good photos. And again, broad daylight. Yeah, it was probably between six and seven in the morning on a hot summer's day. I can only assume it was sunbathing. Picking up the morning sun, yeah, sunning itself like they do in the mornings, yeah. My domestic cat does exactly the same thing. She lays on the windowsill. To think about where the, the sunny patches are first thing in the morning is a good observation spot for a person or for a camera so looking back on it this time you did see the movement of one we're talking about you know you didn't with the links again what stood out about the locomotion and anything else about it and its attitude and and the whole vibe of it the attitude it did not seem fussed about me at all it just seems like oh i guess i gotta move out of the way and went into the field i was scared by it you were scared by it even though you're in the car it did scare me, yes. Why is that? Because you were so close to it? Obviously knew what Puma were, but I wasn't expecting to see see one, and especially so close to home. I was less than five minutes down the road. And just to see it close up and sort of sense its capability that this was a big alpha predator around the corner from your home. Yeah, it could easily have taken someone's dog or 
a pet or just attack someone if they caught it off guard. Do you think that you got that emotion because you saw it so close up or did you still feel like that from the first distant view of it? I think because I saw it so close up, but even even now, I still don't like driving down that road on my own in certain times of day, and I definitely wouldn't walk down there. That's, what, over 10 years on? Different things that affect different people. Yeah, yeah, there's no right or wrong. I love big cats, I love seeing photos, I love taking photos, but I wouldn't ever want to come across one without being in the car. Standard question, pretty much, for our guests is... How would you judge it in terms of its wildness and um, fitness and confidence and health, all of that? Did it seem, you know, one that was naturalising and knew its place in the British landscape? Yeah, because of what how it trotted down the road and jumped into the bush, it sort of like knew where it was going. So it makes me wonder how many times it's taken that path. Um, for health-wise, it was very muscly. It didn't look underweight or skinny whatsoever. Yeah, prime Nick in prime condition. Yes. I told my bosses at work at the time and they just sort of like mocked me throughout the day. But I did go online and have a have a Google because I had no idea about them. It was uh, quite a shock to come online to find out that it's uh, quite a common thing to be reported over the years. Although more often black. I've seen that it's commonly to see a black one out of, out of the three and the links are the rarer ones. Yeah. I'm sure you found that there'd been other sightings in Kent. Did you see that there'd been other sightings fairly local to yours? The first thing I, I found, I found a page was which was called Big Cats in Kent and I filed like a report and I, I can't remember who I met now, but I actually met with someone that was wanted to see where it was who gave me some sort of insights. But what he did tell me, because the cat that I saw was only about 20 metres, maybe more, from a train line. They told me that the cats use train lines and other methods to almost like lay out their grid to move around on. And obviously after hearing other people's stories now and having more research into it, that Cats are quite lazy animals and they will use the easier path opposed to bushwhack their way through. Did you hear of other local sightings? Did you start asking about, after this one, did you speak to family and friends and local people and in the pub? Did you, did you start trying to sense what was going on in the grapevine? I did speak to family. No one doubted me at all. Mainly my friends and my bosses did mock me and they were like, no, you didn't. You didn't see a cat. It was probably something else. But I knew what I saw. I just wish I had a camera. Especially that close. Yeah, very lucky to get that close. The whole length of the of that incident, how long was that for? I would have said that was between 30 seconds to a minute at most. The longest part of it is when I was almost chasing it down the road. I guess because it, where it jumped, it knew where it was going. And it was looking for that gap in the bush. I'm guessing it had been down there before and it's just that time that I come across it. It went into some fields that are football fields, but they're out of the village, whereas now it's completely disused and it's all overgrown. So I'm pretty sure if you put a trail camera up, you're pretty safe to put it anywhere in that field. It'll probably pick up at some point. For rabbits, though, I can't have ever seen a rabbit in the village. We don't have deer either. There'll be deer nearby in Kent, won't there, presumably? There'll be deer on part of the Eddie Cat's territory in that area. Did you ever hear of anybody else seeing one close to the village at the time or afterwards? Funny enough, I actually put some posters up in the village and left my mobile number on them and just said, have you seen this cat? And I had no response for a puma, but someone, two people, in fact, did report back to me and said they'd seen the links. And that was years later. And you spoke to them, did you? Yeah, I spoke to them and they, I met them where they saw it. It was different areas, but in the same village. Were you confident it was the same animal? From description, one of them I would say yes, the other one I would say no, because they mentioned that the cat was more grey. 
And what were their reactions, emotions and thoughts about it? The first guy was, he was walking his dog and he was quite unaware of what he was seeing. He, he knew that it was a larger cat and he said he was a bit unsure, but with his dog, he left quite briskly. The second person, they saw it at a further distance. I believe that was in their house at the time. And what did they think about it? Presumably they were pleased to meet another witness. They, again, they didn't really know much about it. They only contacted me because they saw one of the posters and it had like a picture of one of the cats on it. I had like a pamphlet, a puma and a lynx and just said, have you seen one of these? Because of most people just think you're nuts. Most of them got ripped down. But I guess two people took them home or something like that because they managed to contact me. So it was worth doing then? Oh, yes, definitely. Back then as well, because I didn't know that Facebook groups and all that sort of stuff existed. You're telling me you went to the Big Cat Sanctuary in Smarden, which of course is quite a way away from North Kent. It's in Mid-South Kent, isn't it, Smarden, if I've got my geography right? Can we hear about that anyway? Yeah, I've been there before because I started getting into photography. I would say just after my second sighting, I started to fall into photography. I've always focused mainly in nature and wildlife, and I got gifted a photography experience for the Big Cat Sanctuary. That's when I first saw a puma close up in captivity, and it just instantly had flashbacks of what I saw that time in the road. How similar was it, that individual, to the one you'd seen in the wild? Colour-wise, I would say, and size-wise, it was pretty much identical but the height and the length of it was slightly bigger the ones that i saw in in captivity were females though so i'm I'm assuming the one i saw was possibly a male sorry the one you saw in the wild was bigger or smaller it was substantially bigger okay yeah definitely for muscle wise but i guess one being in the wild has to chase his prey whereas the ones in captivity just get thrown a bit of meat so they don't have to be so muscly. How reassuring was it to see them up close in captivity compared to your your experience? I knew straight away that I'd seen a puma in the in the wild, and I did mention it to them, and they sort of just palmed it off and said, "Like, I'm sure you didn't." And then some other other stuff were like they sort of laughed at me and and just sort of didn't respond. Other zoos, especially London Zoo, gets a lot of reports and it's difficult to know to what extent they take them seriously or think there's a lot of people seeing things. You know, I've got mixed views on that. I think different staff will have different takes on it. I don't know if you've been to the Big Cat Sanctuary, but it's right near a train line and it's surrounded by fields. I'd imagine a large amount of cats in pretty much an open area would send quite a big smell for other cats in the wild to come by. Again, that might happen and they might not be aware of it. Yeah, I'm sort of open-minded. I I just think there's not necessarily a corporate line at zoos and wildlife parks and sanctuaries not to admit things. I think it can be about the awareness of individual staff members and the attitude of different staff members. And how much did you learn more from seeing them in captivity, would you say? I was quite fortunate that on the time I was actually in for a group photography but because of the weather and the time of year, it ends up just being a one-to-one. So I learned quite a lot about the cats and I got to choose what ones to see. That's the first time I actually saw a black panther as well. Was that a black leopard or a black jaguar? Yeah, I actually saw both. The black jaguar was absolutely incredible. I'd never seen a jaguar before, but the size of it was immense. What do you mean by the size of it? Just the sort of muscularity and thick-set, heavy-duty character of, of it? Yeah, it was it, it was basically like a bodybuilder for cats. It was absolutely huge. And it just had like a menacing look to it. Like, as soon as it looked at you, I just thought, no, I wouldn't want to be on the other side of the fence. That was a male, was it? It was actually a female. Okay. I believe both of them I saw as a female. The leopard was considerably smaller than what I was picturing them to be because I saw the jaguar first I was thinking they're going to be the same sort of size then they're actually not the leopards are actually quite small for what they are and then after hearing reports now I just think maybe the size what people are seeing isn't 
completely accurate. But they can vary greatly. Yeah, but I'm more talking about the heights and stuff like that. Obviously, that can vary. The length of it was still big, but I didn't feel comfortable seeing the, the black leopard. They've always freaked me out. Yeah, I'm, I'm quite glad I've never seen one in the wild. Why do you think they freak you out? What is it about them? <laughs> yeah, it might sound weird, but it's actually just the because they're they're black and it just looks a bit more menacing than the than the yellow spotted one. What about the attitude they had of those individuals? What about the black leopard? Did that look sort of threatening? No, I was I've always been scared of the panther of or the black leopard, sorry. So when I said I'm scared of it and I want to go and see it because I could see it from a distance as I was walking around I was like can we go and see that cat just to try and like beat my fear if that makes sense. Yeah. And it did help massively because I realised just how pleasant that cat was. It almost was like a domesticated cat, but big, if that makes sense. Yes. It didn't have threatening vibes. No, it it actually just come down and laid in front of us and just had this, obviously had its face facing towards us and its back end facing away from us. So it's almost like a just front to back way, but it just come over and was seems really like like you could put your hand in and stroke it almost. Not that you would. Did any of them chuff, do that sort of little snorty outtake of breath through the nose, which is a sort of almost acknowledgement sound that some of them can make? The black leopard didn't, but the snow leopard did. Okay. Again, that was the first time I'd ever seen a snow leopard, and that was beautiful. Out of all of them, the tigers made the chuffing sound the most. I almost think that sort of shows how good-mannered they are, <laughs> almost acknowledging your presence and saying it's like an acknowledgement um, sound. Well, we'll ask you about how those experiences of the local puma and the local lynx influenced you after we hear about your Canadian visits. You have family in Alberta, so you visit and you've seen other big wildlife there. So tell us all, give us a bit of scene setting for visiting Alberta then. Yeah, so I have some family over in Calgary in Alberta. I think it was my second visit. We were visiting Banff National Park. We was on our way to Lake Louise. Yeah, I've been there. Lovely place. And the very first animal we ever saw, we saw a wolf down the side of the highway. That was huge. I'd never seen a wolf in the wild before. That was a very big, very big wolf. And funny enough, that was actually black. Were other people stopping to watch or going slowly to watch? You're actually not meant to slow down or stop because of animals out there are quite dangerous. You're nowhere near the top of the food chain. Normally, people with sense don't stop. We did stop for other animals so we saw elk and we saw some like the big mountain rams with the horns i did briefly get out just to take some photos of the rams but i didn't walk far from the vehicles because they can be dangerous as well big horn sheep probably were they yeah that's the ones important native breed but the pumas can get them of course yeah that could easily be taken down by a puma the fascinating creatures all through the sort of western states and uh, very low numbers in some so they're helping them the populations in certain places yeah yeah so tell us about the the time when you saw the puma so we've actually been to some marshes looking for some moose they have almost like viewing areas of marshland so you can go a few moose unfortunately we didn't actually see anything so as we was leaving yeah, funny enough, my mum saw it first and she pointed to the left and said, oh my God, look, there's a, a puma or a mountain lion. And it was just stood in the field to the side of us. It was just fantastic to see see them in their native country. It was only the one. It looked identical in colour-wise to what I'd saw previously. But the shape was, it was almost like flat along the top. Was that just because of its stance, do you think? I think it's because of yeah, because of the way it was stood. It was sort of like just mooching through the grassland. I guess we we're just pretty lucky to see it because if it was nearer the road, I, d- I doubt you'd have seen it driving past. It was just happened we were going slow and just saw it to the side of us. What do you think it was doing? 
it didn't seem like it was prowling. It didn't. It wasn't hunting anything. It was just mooching through. Yeah, it was just basically just having a stroll. Size-wise, compared to the one you saw, what would you reckon? Compared to the one you saw locally in Kent? It's difficult to tell because the one we saw over there was quite a bit more distance. I would have said about 150, nearly 200 yards. You could make out there it was definitely a puma, but I couldn't tell you for size-wise how tall it was. I would have said it was at least six foot long, nose to tail. Again, that was in clear daylight. It was just an overcast day. But not dawn or dusk or anything? No, it was still just daylight. The tail was almost a bit straighter this time. It wasn't so cold. But I don't know if they, if different cats just carry their tail differently. I think it can depend on the type of locomotion, vibe and actions at the time. But similar thickness and length, would you say? Or did you manage to see all of the tail? I saw most of the tail. It's only the tip of it I didn't see. I couldn't see its feet because it was in sort of long grass. Do you think it was extra exciting and extra intriguing for you because you'd seen the one locally in Kent? Funny enough, I was actually more amazed by the wolf than the puma. Huh. Because after after seeing pumas in captivity and having my experiences over here, we don't have wolves over here, so I was actually more amazed of seeing that than anything. And just how close that was as well. That was only, imagine having your your lane the hard shoulder and it was literally just on the other side of the hard shoulder very close to the highway very lucky yeah yes i I was you know similar areas we got to see a bear in fact uh, paul mcdonald the scottish investigator in his first episode i don't know whether you've heard that but he talks about seeing a puma near jasper uh, which of course is pretty close to where you would have been uh, he was out running yeah. one morning and, a, and a, a, it just coincidentally converged with a, a puma coming down <laughs> the hill. So, so in fact, uh, you're the third person to come on the podcast who's seen a puma in both countries. I'm certainly eating my words after telling Gareth he's one of the only people who's had that experience. Maybe there'll be more of us in the future. Yeah, and did you get in the habit, I find this when I'm over there, you tend to just call them mountain lions or cougars over there. We'd call them pumas over here. And in fact, they call them puma in South America. It seems more natural to call them mountain lions when you see them over there, I think. All my family over there just call them cougar. Mainly just one of their most common name, really, isn't it? Yeah. The researchers and rangers and people who work with them and monitor them or whatever, they tend to just for shorthand call them lions. Yes, they've got another name. It's just obviously the mountain lion bit is just shortened to, to lions. Okay. It's what you're conditioned for, isn't it, and the company you keep. How long was that sighting for? Just a few seconds, was it, the, the one of the puma? That was just for a few seconds because we were on, on the road leaving. But as you know, around there, there's lots of trees, so you see it for one second, and then it's gone behind the trees, and you'll never see it again. And of course, as I've said on the podcast, and we, as we know, many American citizens, even on the western side of the country, they will not see one themselves in their lifetimes, a puma in the wild. So I still think you've got to count yourself lucky if you see one there. It's like, like with you, you managed to see a bear. I know loads of people have seen bears and I've never seen one. But again, mine wasn't a truly sort of deep in the woods, which would have been nice, or albeit scary. Mine was from a car on the roadside as well, and people were going slow and stopping when they shouldn't have been. I think people mainly do it just for the bears because of how overall mass of them. Yeah, and if you haven't seen one, it's a novelty thing. And I guess if you're more local and you see them a fair bit, you know, you just drive past as normal and think, oh yeah, there's another bear. Yeah, I suppose so, yeah. Before we ask you about how this has all influenced you, we are going to have Word of the Week because you've looked up one. Can you tell us what your Word of the Week is and explain it? Yeah, so because of obviously I've seen a, a puma or a mountain lion, I was trying to find different words for puma and I come across one that was called Klandagi, which is used by the Cherokee Indian tribes, which is the word for puma and it relates to lord of the forest thank you for that very good so they revere puma basically uh, with that kind of tag to it yes so they related 
bee, puma, and an owl. I don't know what type of owl as the highest purity. So I'm assuming they consider them very protected and special animals. Thank you for that. That's that's very good. Very nice to have a local name. Of course, we've had another name for Puma as Word of the Week, which was Catamount, which is short for Cat Up a Mountain. But that can mean Lynx as well, or Bobcat, any sort of Cat Up a Mountain, but so Catamount. So it's nice to get those local names for Puma, Cougar, Mountain Lion. Another word is Painter. It's a cat of so many different uh, names, reflecting how it is so strong in different uh, local cultures across North America. Definitely. And it's interesting that that particular type of cat has so many names compared to, like, lynx. only have lynx or that's about it, isn't it? You get different types like bobcat or they're all tiny bit different, whereas the puma just have a mass of different names, different cultures. It must be the most varied name tag cat of, of anything, I think. The only one I wasn't sure on was in Florida. They call it the Florida panther. But aren't mountain lions not considered part of the panthera cats? Correct. But, I mean, whatever the locals say goes, doesn't it? It's just evolved with that name tag. And so they call them panthers. And, yeah, it confuses it even more, doesn't it? <laughs> Yeah, and of course they're um, critically under threat with the low numbers there. But yes, it's looking better at the moment uh, in terms of you know it's on the up slightly, which is good. That's good. Yeah, great. Well, how has this influenced you and affected you in terms of your interest and your awareness and uh, generally, you know, how has it affected you, uh, Charlie? It's definitely interested me. I'm part of many Facebook groups now. And I've actually found some of them via your podcasts. Oh, good. I'm just really interested in hearing other people's stories. Yeah. I have noticed that a majority of people will see black ones. The black ones may stick out more in our wildlife because with our fields and grasslands and stuff being mainly green and browns, the puma and the lynx probably blend in easier and probably people might see them and not realise they're there. It's more cryptic that colour in the British landscape. That point has come across in, in the past to me and I think on the podcast that although proportionately one would judge that there are not so many pumas in Britain, there may be a higher proportion than the figures and the data suggest because they're more difficult to spot in normal conditions. I would imagine that there probably would be a higher number of puma or lynx than black leopard because in reality, when you look at other nature programs, they always say how rare it is to see a black black leopard. Well, yes, but I think that's incorrect information because it's not the case in Malay Peninsula or Java and Indonesia. You know, they are that is their main refuge. So it's rare, yes, in Africa and and say India, but you still get them there. But you don't get them in concentrations, whereas in the Malay Peninsula, which is maybe where ours originated from, from colonial times, that they are the major, you know, leopard-type cat there. Once they've established as black, they breed on black, so you won't get a spotted leopard from that founder population. Yeah, I still think the puma thing is is interesting, that this sort of lower number and this lower proportion, it might be you know, a higher proportion than we than the data suggests because they are just more difficult to see in our landscape in most situations. Yeah, definitely. And it's interesting that people see black leopards, but don't. I haven't heard of anyone ever seeing a spotted one. Yeah, it's rare, absolutely very rare. We haven't had on the podcast and there aren't many in the data. And then you'd have to perhaps question somebody who did allege to see one. Yeah, and you don't even get many people reporting the rosettes within the black ones, assuming that they are all black leopards, which, of course, you know, they may not be all black leopards. That's the other thing to think about. So that's why I think panther is a good term. I'd imagine that's quite difficult to see because, again, when I saw the black leopard in captivity, even then, being so close up to it, it was very difficult to tell that there's rosettes on the on the cat. Yeah. Whereas on the jaguar, it was very distinctive. You could see them really easily and they're sort of slightly different aren't they that they're more open 
I'd have said for the Jaguar, it's more like a it was more like a, a large hand size for the rosettes, whereas on the Leopards, it was more like a small circle. Very interesting observations, yeah. Where do you stand on the possibility of some pumas being black? Have you given that any consideration? I haven't ever seen evidence of them being black, so I'm sort of in doubt. But until one gets seen or taken pictures of, then I'll believe it. But that's just that's just my personal preference at the end of the day. I would say have a look at Hernando, Mississippi footage. Just Google Hernando, Mississippi, black panther, black cat, black puma, and make a judgment on that one. I think that's the closest possibility. Okay, I'll have a look. You've got the issue of is it the right scale and is it the right form? I think it is, and, I, and it's certainly very, very dark, even if it's not black. So if it's very, very dark, it's potentially melanistic. But some of the witness descriptions do appear to be a puma in a black or extremely dark form. I'd imagine it would be very dark brown opposed to black. but Yeah, I think it can vary. I mean, there's a section on it in my book as well. I think it's something which is observed but not confirmed through DNA or bodies or whatever. But I think some of the witness reports are very compelling and I think it should be considered. And I think it's something which could happen in an isolated population, which, of course, we do have here. I'm not saying we do have them here, but I think, still think it's best to be open-minded about the prospect of it rather than take the view that, oh, they can't be melanistic, you wouldn't get black ones. And in fact, we do have some sightings in Britain which seem to be pretty grey shades of them, which would suggest, you know, which would beg the question of whether there's a a melanism in its lighter form. Yeah, I I think they get different colours, but then people sometimes say the leopards are different colours. Yeah. So some people class them as a lighter brown, but then... It could be an older cat because we have an older domestic cat on where we live at the moment. And in the sun, that's his furs goes orange. Ebony Exmoor Zoo, the black leopard female at Exmoor Zoo, died about 18 months ago now. She turned very much more gingery orange in her latter years from the black she was when she was younger. Yeah, it's a good point, yeah. And of course, something like a puma in its normal colour phase when it was wet would make it look much more darker as well. Yeah, definitely. So, and in terms of emotionally, you know, when you're out in the countryside or whatever, how do you feel? Has it made you more alert and more on the lookout for things and to just more notice things in nature more as a result? Has it influenced you that way? When you do photography, you look at how the light hits certain objects and how that shadows are different and things like that. So that kind of thing is and isn't affected. But I was actually affected by a completely different different incident a couple of years ago do tell us yeah so i'll actually tell you where this was because it wasn't cat related i was actually taking some pictures of some deer at, at null which is a which is a natural trust place and it has a deer park i was taking some pictures of a herd of deer and i leaned down a little bit and i wasn't aware that there was a stag behind me and they actually actually attacked me I got completely knocked off my feet and as it backed up to take a second run, I just got up really quickly and sort of like backed out of it. Ever since then, it's just put me on, on edge, especially in the wooded areas. So I'm always with someone nowadays, especially if I'm taking pictures, mainly just to keep an eye out for what I don't see. What do you think provoked that incident? I'm not entirely sure. I'd never had it before. I'd go there pretty much every week for many, many years. I'd never experienced that, and I've never experienced it again. Was it rutting time? It was actually in January, so I think rutting time had just finished. They actually have signs up, and they do say, don't get too close. But coming from behind me, and I didn't hear it coming, I wasn't aware how close it had got to me. Do you know if it was a fallow or, or a roe? It was a fallow with quite big horns. I was lucky enough. I was wearing a large Sherpa-type jumper at the time, so it didn't actually break the skin or anything like that. But if I was wearing a T-shirt, it probably could, could have caused some damage. 
Yeah, what kind of run-up had it given you? Was it a more of a nudge or was it a run-up sort of charge one? Uh, well, I didn't even know, to be honest. It hit me from, it hit my left arm and like the back of my ribs. I didn't even know it was behind me until it hit me. Did it feel like it had some momentum to it? Yeah, it completely knocked me off my feet to the floor. But I suppose if I saw it coming, it probably could have still knocked me over, to be honest. Just shows you that herbivores can be dangerous, and I think part of that danger comes from the unpredictability, the lack of appreciation of what kind of power and momentum and intent they can have sometimes. You know, we think the carnivores the dangerous one, and <laughs> it's the herbivores you've got to watch out even more so, actually. Just from that one innocent, unprovoked incident, I've always been nervous just walking out and about because you just you just never know. From something I thought was just so like tame and wouldn't really go near anyone, they normally always run off. It's really difficult trying to take pictures of them because they always run off. And after that, I've just always had someone with me because you just never know. Yeah, and, and of course, you get them in large numbers, I presume, at Noel Park, do you? You do, yes. They're normally always near the golf courses and on the open areas. However, we always try to walk in the the areas that people don't walk in because I try to get as natural photos as possible. So you'll always find me in, in the wooded areas or in like the deep bracken. And of course, this is an area known for big cat sightings around that way too, isn't it? I believe so, but I've never seen anything. Also, of course, Kent itself generally is one of the key counties in Britain for big cat sightings, you know, has been for many, many years and and continues to be so. It's great to have your, you know, cases from Kent. In fact, North Kent, I would say, perhaps has has less than some parts of Kent, but which makes yours even more interesting. But, uh, you know, they do happen from all parts of the county. Yeah, both both my sightings, I've never had, never heard of other sightings other than the ones that have spoken to me. And I've never heard anything since. Whereas the area I've moved to now has absolutely tons of black cat sightings. And we've only been here for three or four months. So you never, maybe in the future, I may get lucky enough to catch one on camera. Yes. Do you use trail cameras? Don't own trail cameras, but I always, if I'm out on about, I always have my SLR with me. Have you got a dash cam on your vehicle now? I actually don't have a dash cam, no. But if I'm with my partner, they have a dash cam, so she's always recording. Maybe it might be a good idea for me to invest, especially around here. For £100 or so, it give yourself a chance. If you get lucky, you may as well. They've got other uses, of course, although big cat spotting should be their primary use, but they do. <laughs> allegedly, they've got other uses. <laughs> yeah, um... Where have you heard about the uh, the local sightings on Facebook or through the newspapers or just word of mouth? All through Facebook. I was just past couple of days of emailing you. I was just looking up mainly through the area I'd been previously and the area I live now. And the area I live now, there was sightings over the years and they're nearly always black. Yeah, well, good luck in that. Photographers, as you say, you're, you're more sort of attuned to looking at light conditions. And do you go out at dawn and dusk as well, which will give you a chance for photography? If I'm taking pictures of the deer, we always go out at first light. I don't often go too much in the summer. it always be out of season, so less people around. In the last year, I've twice had reports one directly and one indirectly via Frank Tunbridge, of people watching fallow deer first light in the morning and seeing them disperse and get spooked and dart away and a black panther, presumably black leopard, turn up on the scene having its cover blown or that you know, they've realised. And so people have seen them, panther stalking, herds of deer. Maybe it'll happen for you. Possibly. I have heard a few people say, if you want to find a cat, follow the deer. And at fawning time, you know, at the time, calving time, you know, the time when the fawns are dropping. Fawns are still young enough now to be a target. What about more generally, and the notion of big cats possibly naturalising in Britain? Charlie, what's your take on that? You got a view on that? I wasn't 
too sure on the whole idea of them like breeding, but after hearing so many sightings and they're just continuous, I don't see why they wouldn't be. Our country is just so perfect for them easily to live and again be so undetected, especially in certain parts where it's mainly wooded. And what's your attitude to them? Say they are naturalising, establish themselves. What's your attitude about that? It doesn't bother me too much. It would be nice to hear them be officially recognised. Obviously, some people may may fear it, but having family in different countries and like Canada, for example, it's a standard thing just to understand that when you go for a walk out in the bush that you're not top of the food chain and you have to be careful. So it would be nice to have like clarity over here that these cats do exist and they do roam anywhere in the country. But the consequences of of stating that may be tricky though, don't you think? It would be. I could imagine at least the majority of the people in the UK have gone into like some mass panic because we seem to panic over all sorts of things. Yeah, I think it's how it's communicated, isn't it, I think? And people are made aware of them. I wouldn't expect it just to pop up in the news and just say, we have big cats in the UK just on TV or something. It would be good to have it introduced slowly, but to become become recognised, if that makes sense. Some slow awareness raising. Yes, but of course it's interesting that, say, if you were back in Alberta, in the Rockies, you could go hiking all your life and still never see one, even though there are signs about them. So that's the <laughs> dilemma, isn't it? It's the invisible ghost cat. Uh-huh. Uh, which is what, why, again, why it's got these, it's revered and got all these different sort of names and things. They are just so furtive in their nature. 100%. And again, with anything in wild, really, the majority of things hide from humans. If they see you coming, or they might even see you long before you see them and they'll be gone. Great. Well, it's been so good to hear both the Kent perspective and the Alberta, Canada Rocky Mountain perspective as well. So thank you very much. I'm sure listeners found that all very valuable. And anything else we've not covered that you wanted to touch on before we sign off? For cat-wise, I think that's everything, really. Yeah. I would just note that I had to hear heard through some of the other podcasts that people say how often they don't see a fox and stuff like that. Whereas in the village that I used to live in, where I saw the cat sightings, you're going to see a fox pretty much at least once a day. And it doesn't matter what time of day. We used to have foxes in the garden during the day. You get badgers a lot and hedgehogs and stuff like that. So so we get a quite a variety. And some people have never even seen a, a badger other than on the right side. Well, I would say around where I am, actually, it's only on my trail cameras, really, that I see. I mean, I do occasionally see foxes. It's almost like you go to urban Gloucester and you see them more. And uh, driving in some parts of suburban areas, you see the morgue, you see them in the evenings, you know, trotting down the street. They've just adapted. But I think it can vary, but that's interesting. Hedgehogs, so inconsistent. You know, I used to see hedgehogs regularly in Hampshire growing up as a lad in our gardens. But here in Gloucestershire, you know, it's a rare event. And we get very excited when we get one on the camera or occasionally sense one in the garden. Uh, Yeah, I just suppose it's just the area you live in, really, because... I hardly ever see rabbits or deer wild around here. I've only had a very few experiences of deer, and that's when they just run out in front of you. Other than that, I've I've never seen them in the fields. Yeah, British mammals and uh, established mammals in Britain, yeah, they can vary. Do you have other places you go to for your photography, or do you, do you tend to stick to places where you're going to see big mammals like deer? I actually take pictures of lots of landscaping, so I will travel most of Kent and Sussex. But I also do some night stuff as well, so I normally go mainly to built-up areas for that. Could we possibly have a couple of photos from you on, on the website for this episode? Yeah. Your choice, really. That's no problem. Yeah, that'd be nice. Yeah, we need to illustrate this episode somehow. You could decide, really, and we'll put something on by the time we've edited this and got it out, ready for release. We'll get something ready on the website. It could be your choice. I'll share some deer photos with you, if you like. At least it'll be something mammal-related and not just a random landscape. Yeah. Do you have an Instagram? You know, how do people see your photos? 
I post everything on, on Instagram nowadays. Well, we'll put a, a link to your Instagram account then. It was a pleasure talking to you. Yeah, thanks so much for coming on Big Cat Conversations, Charlie. Great to be part of the podcast. Just to confirm that we've put a few snippets from Charlie's photos from his Instagram account on the Big Cat Conversations website under episode 80 on the references and links page. So hope you enjoy seeing those if you get a chance. Now we have some fun news to announce because we're inviting poems and limericks on the topic of our panthers, pumas and links here in Britain. We will put all the entries on the website for people to read, and as part of an episode, hopefully in late October, we will read them all out, and then we can all vote for our favourite poem and our favourite limerick in December. There will be prizes for the two winners and the runners-up. We'll have more information on the goodies to be won next episode. Hopefully it will be a bit of fun to hear people's contributions, and maybe poems are a neat way of raising awareness on the topic. If you don't think you're a natural poet like me, maybe try a limerick. I forced myself to come up with one, and it's not for entry in the competition, but here goes. The British Big Panther, all black, fools stalkers who lack the hard facts. He gives them the slip with their lures of catnip, while friendly locals brush over his tracks. Hopefully that's just about passable, but I'm sure there'll be some more classy ones submitted. Now, there is a poem which I'm hoping will be entered, and I've got permission to read it out now anyway. It's from Chris, who is a very experienced investigator here in Gloucestershire, and he's obviously got hidden talents as a poet too. So here it is. An exciting thing to be interested in, these elusive, mysterious cats. From dodgy prints and eaten deer to very hairy scats. Blurry photos, witness reports and different people's views... I suppose one day we'll see them on the local evening news. But in a way, I wish they'd stay, the enigma that we chase. So long as just once, before I die, we may meet face to face. So great stuff, Chris. That does set a benchmark, perhaps. And although I'm suggesting people's contributions will be about the British big cats, if you're listening from overseas, somewhere like America or Australia or France or anywhere and you want to file one about your own country's mystery big cats, we'd love to have those as well. They will all be read out, and all be in our voting choices in December. The deadline for emailing your poem or limerick is 15th of October, so you've got a fair few weeks. We'll have more reminders nearer the time anyway. In terms of reading them out as part of a future episode... Back by popular demand, we will have Corin and Paul Ramsden, who did the great double act on Big Cats recently for the BBC's Listening Project. And Frank Tunbridge will chip in, reading some as well. Frank is very swatty on these things, and he's already done one, so I'll read that one out next time. So, if you fancy yourself as a panther poet, email one in. The email address is on the Big Cat Conversations website, and it is rick at bigcatconversations.com. In mentioning Frank Tunbridge there, his Big Cat investigations are discussed in a long feature article in the summer special edition of The Economist magazine. It's in print form in the shops at the moment in August 2022, and it's also available online. We've put a link to it on the website under episode 80 on the references and links page. And it's worth checking out the piece anyway for the simple but clever photos throughout the spread of the article. I'll let you see how they've been done, but they help you imagine a black leopard or panther in different parts of the British landscape. So thanks to The Economist for a very respectful piece all about the emotions and the complexities of investigating big cat reports. Okay, for our next episode, we are back in South Wales. We've got two reports to hear about, and one of them involves the lynx-like cat that many Facebook members here in Britain have been discussing recently. That's because of the interesting photo and short video clip that Mark the Witness provided. If you've not seen them on Facebook, we'll have those images available to view on the website next time, and we will discuss the scaling exercise that Mark is doing as a follow-up. People found Mark very helpful on Facebook, so it will be great to chat with him as part of the next show. 
Righto, we are closing out now, so thanks again to Charlie, our guest, and thank you everyone for listening in. Sorry this one was a little late for those of you who like to hear it on schedule. Look forward to being back soon, take care of yourselves, and bye for now.